Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello, and welcome to the Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is the Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. With us today is Peter Lang, Associate Vice President of Transportation Services at Texas A&M University, an all-around celebrity in the parking tech world, uh, at least for me. So how are you doing today, Peter? Hey, great, Isaiah. Thank you for thank you for having me and uh, doing well, semester winding down and uh, uh, looking forward to uh, near normal fall. Yeah, that's... Uh... I used to joke I want to work in the university section, university sector, because you guys do nothing for like four months in the summer. Is that true or not true? No, that is not. That is not. <laughs> it might have been a twenty-five-year-old myth or something like that. But uh, summers are incredibly busy with all kinds of uh, projects and construction that need to to get completed when things are a little light, bit less busy. And yeah. for a school like A and M, which is huge, and it's almost a uh, seventy thousand students in the summer. We may have 25 or 28,000 students enrolled, and that makes us bigger than just about every other college or university in the country as it is. So it's, yeah, no no downtime in the summer anymore. Yeah, that's, I think Brian, I made that joke with Brian Shaw, yeah. and he said, that's, that's when we're busy, because you're right, that's when you do all your parking projects and vendors and construction, plus you're balancing the summer school, sporting events, and it's just, uh, you know, it's even maybe even more busy in the summer than it is during season. But. I, I just describe it as a different kind of busy. Yeah, different. Just don't have this, as many students. Yeah. So you just mentioned Texas A&M, 70,000 students. I know it's huge. I think it's up there with what Arizona State, Central Florida, a few other huge uh, campuses. But I think you, you know, your, your operation is bigger than most cities. I work in the city division. So I think of cities and you know, it's, it's crazy to think about how big your operation is. Tell us a little bit about the operation. Sure. Spaces, garages, sure. what's going on. The yeah. um, total inventory of parking spaces is almost almost 40,000 parking spaces, around 39,000 and change. Wow. About, third, about a third of them now are in, uh, are in garages, seven, seven structures, one of which opened this fall. So a great time to spend a whole bunch of money and open up something without putting anybody in it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, you know, that inventory ebbs and flows um, now and then as stuff comes online and goes offline, things get built. We have about a 105, 110 lanes of equipment. About uh, a third of that is access control, revenue control stuff, lots of cameras, lots of, uh, you know, when I say lots of in the neighborhood of six or 700 cameras, lots of events. And just the, you know, the dynamic, you know, and everything I'll talk about is kind of pre-COVID and it's just a large dynamic, you know, a city of a university with, you know, its own police force and power plant, power generation and, you know, all the things that go along with a tier one research institute and, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of buildings and millions of gross square feet of, of, uh, of classrooms and labs and, and offices on campus. So it is, it's a, you know, a city unto itself and uh, quite a large operation. My, my department, Transportation Services, consists of all the parking operation, all the transit operation, and all the fleet operation on campus. Um, in total, about a $50 million operation. Parking's about a $30 million operation. Transit's about 11 and fleet's about nine or so to, to kind of round that out. Crazy. 
it's you know, 165, 175 uh, full-time employees. Uh, oh, we wow. use a lot of student workers, 345 student workers on the payroll today to help get us uh, get things done. The bulk of those, about 225 of them are, are transit drivers. And consequently, we have one of the lower cost per cost per hour of a transit system in the, in the, in the nation, actually. So it's uh, yeah, huge operation. And you mentioned big events. I think they also have one of the largest football stadiums. So walk us through that. Maybe, maybe a, a, a college football game. So Texas A&M is playing Texas. It's a uh, Saturday. We don't play, that. We don't play them anymore. We moved to the SEC. Oh, because that's right. Yeah. Who's your big rivalry uh, then? I thought you still had the, the rivalry, but Texas Tech. No, no that's, that's, they, that's they went with the, the old conference as well. So uh, LSU or uh, you know, Alabama, Alabama yeah. coming to town. Or so, you, so you're playing them. This is before COVID. You know, it's a night game because I hear night games are worse because now people are tailgating and parking all day. Exactly. But I don't know. Take exactly. take us through what what's that like managing something like that. So the move to the SEC in 2012, they rebuilt the stadium and took it from 80 mid 80 thousand range, 85 thousand up to 102, uh, like 102 700 or so, and and so largest stadium in Texas. Still not not quite the largest in the in the country. The big house is bigger, and Penn State's bigger, but it's, uh, it's go blue number four or something like that five. Yeah, so it's a, a massive stadium, and kind of ha- have uh, picked up that uh, SEC tailgating vibe as well. And so tailgating's really exploded over the last, oh gosh, fifteen years or so, even prior to us switching conferences. And so there could be another on a giant game like an Alabama game or an LSU game, there could be another thirty thousand people outside the stadium. The whole the whole county. Brazos County, uh, Bryan College Station area has a population, you know, around 200, 250,000. So having that many. It's like half the county. And exactly. Drained into, it, right? <laughs> into a, a very small uh, footprint. And I think we become like the fourth largest downtown in Texas uh, when that happens seven days a year. Mm-hmm. And so our operation is fully engaged. We have, uh, we're running shuttles, uh, we're running parking rides running just about all of our our buses we have about 90 94 buses and so we're probably running close to close to 90 on a game day 100 uh, so that's a 100 transit personnel on the parking side of the house we man all the lots on campus be it donor lots or pay lots uh, another 100 uh, folks that are working there we also are responsible for all the on campus court on campus traffic it's a holding peds and pedestrian stuff outside the stadium. That's another hundred people. We're responsible for coordination of of our plan with the city, with the county, because we we get them off campus pretty quick and have a good flush system. And so we get them out to the city city uh, infrastructure, city roads pretty quick. And so extensive coordination with City College Station and TechStop, City of Bryan, in order to be able to continue to push people back out to the major arterials. We don't have, we're not on an interstate, so it takes a little bit of work to get people headed back towards Houston, San Antonio, Austin, or Dallas, and uh, extensive game day planning and, and coordination uh, efforts. You know, starts early in the morning, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, have a select donor lots that need to be uh, secured and potentially cleared and then cashiers on post and they're there all day and tailgating will start early and people bring in their trailers and start cooking briskets and, and things like that. And it is quite, quite an event. 
including you know extensive post-game traffic operations when you dump a stadium like that especially with a big game that goes down to the wire or something yeah you, you love the blowouts because they trickle out early exactly <laughs> everybody stays for the everybody stays for the band and then uh, uh starts trickling out after halftime which really helps the the system we have a great partnership with the the tti texas a&m transportation institute and the experts over there have worked a um, number of years for a great post pre and post game traffic plan but it's just it's just a massive operation from having a hotel on campus to donor parking to the technology that we use for prepaid event stuff and drive up stuff and and everything else that that happens to be able to deploy cashiers to be able to bring them in at kickoff and do countdown of cash and and reconciliation processes and everything else it's just a an amazing effort i mean i think our department Probably, I think we we hire 35 or 40 law enforcement officers as well to help us outside the stadium. Every game? Every game with our operation mm-hmm. in critical areas that kind of need a, sometimes we say you need a badge and a gun in order to be able to stop some people to get them to uh, listen to uh, their direction in a critical area. Do you, so is there like a command center somewhere where you're posted to kind of watch it from an aerial view? Absolutely. We, um, we use that camera system extensively on game days. There's a command center at the stadium that uh, has all the uh, represented law enforcement agencies and the operational crew from athletics and, and uh, us and utilities and facilities and all the folks that need, that need mm-hmm. to be there. And we have a presence there. And then uh, our folks in the field or we have another mini command center is going to be our plan this year with transportation services staff in it communicating back to to main command but we can see now with our camera system we can see cam campus better than being out in a cart or in a vehicle and and uh we can see all the major artillery grills around campus and yeah. city of Station shares their camera system so we can see all the major intersections and make sure everything's set up correctly for for pre and post game traffic and yeah absolutely i've heard of some big event venues using drones to kind of get that, you know, traffic looks like maybe you already had that covered with, with the surrounding cameras, but have you heard of anyone using drones to manage? I I haven't, I haven't heard anybody doing that. LSU has a helicopter. So the state, state police, (laughs) the state police in Louisiana for post game traffic. That's pretty cool. That's Um, cool. And do you guys uh, do, do you do a lot of pre-sale, like a like event pre-sale for the Absolutely. football game? Absolutely, and, and that's been uh, growing over the years, and it's been a, a real help um, in certain areas. So we have a couple. We have a really big garage, thirty-seven hundred space garage, across a four-lane uh, road from the stadium that's connected by a nice passageway, and we use it for donor. Uh, we have a bunch of residents in there, so we still end up with about a couple thousand spaces that we can use for for game day. And we've got, you know, fifteen hundred donors or something like that, and then we'll sell the remainder prepay. We used to do drive up, drive up cash, but uh, several years ago, we shifted that to one hundred percent prepay because that was kind of a bottleneck in our operation. We had people because it was the closest public paid parking. People always went there, no matter if we would filled it up or not. And so even when we sold it out and we'd post signs and we'd start tweeting and pushing stuff to our app. That it's filled, people will still come there. Yep. So switching that to prepay 
and donor parking, the only people that go there now are people that are supposed to be there and has really cleaned up traffic, pregame traffic around that area and, and prepay is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our operation. It gives us a little flexibility game by game, conference versus non-conference size of the game to be able to cherry pick and add uh, quantities of available parking to areas that, that we're predicting maybe all the donors won't come and we can oversell a little bit put some prepaid parking in areas that might not always have it for a conference game or something like that. So prepay is becoming a bigger and bigger part of what we do. And I used to manage the University of Louisville basketball games on behalf of the Parking Authority of River City as their operator. But I was always shocked by how many people don't show up and how many you how many spaces you can sell twice. I don't think we should be proud of that. You know, if, uh, if, you, if you pay for something, I want you to use it. But uh, you know, there's no refund just from a planning perspective, but it's just crazy where a hundred prepays wouldn't show up and then I could resell those spaces. Um, we, call it the, we call it the gift card of parking. The gift card of parking. I love it. They're just not all redeemed. Yep. What's your uh, average cost for a football game at a convenient parking garage? $30 or $20? Yeah, it kind of it, it kind of uh, bounces. I think we are least expensive is 20 and then we go up to uh, some closer in things at, at in the 30 range. And then we have gone up into the 50, 60 range for one of the garages that's immediately across the street across from the street. stadium. If we have some flex room in there, you knowing it's the size of the game and different things like that. VIP parking. I love it. So man, a lot I want to cover here. So a few other initiatives that Texas A&M is involved in. I wanted to just from searching your, your program and your bio, some really cool things going on. I know you're big into tech. You've been on the IPMI tech committee. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's talk about some of these tech initiatives or just initiatives. The first one, a bike sharing. So I know Texas A&M earned a bicycle-friendly university by the League of American Bicycles. It's got high usage at the university. So tell us about your bike share program. Sure. And the and the bike-friendly piece, we're you know, proud to move from, from bronze to silver, but the you know, one of the biggest efforts that we've had has been around our bike share program over the years. And uh, we wanted to have a commercial commercial vendor and somebody that could support it. And uh, we started off, gosh, now it's been three, four years ago with that yellow bike company. It's I, I dare say its name. It's kind of like Beetlejuice. If you say it three times, it might come back. Um, but they went out of business and uh, they have three letters and two O's. And uh, so they went out of business and we learned an awful lot of, uh, from, from that process. You know, campuses need to be neat and tidy and, and bike shares laying all over the place and left in strange spots are not conducive to what we do on campus. We have a really well-racked bike rack inventory on campus. We've right, tried to right-size it around the, the key places around campus. And, you know, the, the, the whole object of bike share is to is for folks to not necessarily bring their own and and you know to be able to find those efficiencies of of uh, people sharing the bikes when when they need to so not needing quite as much bike rack space and so the what we really wanted is a rack to rack system and so that that first vendor really wasn't into that and so when they went out of business, found another vendor who's uh, who's VO and has been a, a great partner and 
we had some initial issues when they came on board with the same kind of stuff of bikes getting left places. And we worked with them to really kind of flesh out this rack to rack system. We have enough racks absolutely everywhere that a bike needs to go and we need them parking in a rack. And so I'm a big fan of a rack to rack system on a college campus. You know, it's, it's, you know, I think that was from like a municipal bike share perspective early on, the sort of the docked systems were, were kind of doomed because they weren't convenient. They just weren't enough racks in the places where people wanted to, to go. We have enough racks on campus for everywhere that folks want to go when we really want to lock to rack to rack system. And so VIA was great to, to work with, to come up with a kind of a, kind of a hack for their bikes to be able to, to put a locking mechanism on there and, and uh, that really helped flush it out as they move towards pedal assisted electric bikes and, and throttle, throttle e-bikes, that technology then and throttle e-bikes, which don't have pedals gets built in and more and more success. Um, I think we, you know, we have got, gosh, like 5,000 bikes or so in our bike share program. Oh, wow. Um, I had no clue is that many. Wow. I think it's the largest, the largest, their largest deployment. And it's probably one of the larger of anybody's deployments in the country. And they've been a good partner and it's been, it was a trick obviously during the last year to kind of keep things moving and keep things progressing, but they were, we've deployed here in the last month or so, 500 of the throttle, throttle assist e-bikes and they uh, throttled e-bikes, not assist pedal assist in their being adopted and they're being used and they're rack to rack and they're locked to and the app technology is supporting folks doing the right thing and they've been they've been good about enforcing rules and and uh, fining where necessary and and uh geofenced and governors and all the different kind of things that need to happen in in different parts of campus and so I think one of the things that I didn't say when talking about that is that I didn't say the s word and uh I was in Austin this weekend and, and scooters are everywhere and, uh, laying on the sidewalk and they were, you could see where they were trying to be organized. It just didn't look like that. And we don't have them on campus. We've successfully, you know, kind of worked the bike side of it. And then the throttle, throttle e-bikes, um, kind of filling that gap. I think of the kind of the fun factor that scooters provide without the, without the clutter. They're much bigger tires, you sit down much safer in my opinion. So you, so you have no, to clarify, you have no scooters we have in no, Texas a We have no scooters and the city of college station does not have any scooters. Wow. Either. Did you pilot it for some time before making that decision or you just always we did like not. to, we just kept watching everybody else fight with them and mm. just didn't like what we were seeing and didn't like the sort of the un, the non rack to rack or the undocked uh, systems that were in place for them just didn't like the look and didn't like the clutter. And that's what this, that throttle assist e-bike has, I think it's filled that gap bigger than the scooter sit down safety. Uh, yeah. Those are pretty cool. I've seen them. I've haven't ridden one yet, but I'm excited to check one of those out. So and you said earlier, so you manage more than just parking. You manage the, the fleet transit, all that. So What's your shuttle system like? Have you tried some of the the newer electric shuttles? How's your how much utilization do do you have with those? Sure. Tell us a little bit about your shuttle program. The so non uh, you know pre pandemic the ridership was just under seven million rides a year. 
um, which is a, a massive amount of, of wow, yeah, yeah, on and off campus. If it wasn't for the met, major met, metropolitan areas in Texas, we uh, I think we come in seventh after the Houston, Austin, Dallas, and San Antonio uh, systems. Up in Dallas, there's several. There's a couple three systems, and so we would be the next biggest after after the metro areas. And it's 96 buses, all diesel today, um, all 40 foot uh, diesels here. Shortly, we just uh, we're very fortunate to receive a build grant and co- partnership with our uh, local transit provider, and uh, just got about 35 new buses. But part of that build grant are three electric Proterra buses, and so we've been had them on order for about a year now and, and, uh, expect delivery in about 30 days and very excited, uh, that we have the charging infrastructure in place to, and, uh, excited their 40 foot Proterras. We're excited to see what happens with the batteries and Texas heat and, and what we can do. So we've been talking to our friends around the country. University of Georgia has been very, very nice and they've got almost I think, 20 now and, and expect to have more soon and, and uh, lessons learned and things like that. It was, I think UCF or US South Florida or Central Florida got one the other day too. And my folks were going to talk to them and had, we had one come up from, uh, from Austin um, this winter to commission our chargers and things like that. So it's pretty, pretty cool, pretty exciting. They're more expensive and, and the grant facilitated our, our getting them. But I really think all in all, electric's going to win. It's, um, it just seems like, you know, from a, the other alternative fuel stuff from, you know, hydrogen and, and hybrid kind of stuff that electric, electric's going to win. We're starting to see how the other major manufacturers, bus manufacturers get into the, into the market as well. So yeah, we, we have it in Chattanooga for the, for the city and it's, it's really popular. It's free. Chattanooga has a lot of, downtown attraction so it just kind of runs this loop of all the places tourists and people like to go but one cool thing about it too is that it's funded if you think dr shoot put the money from the meters back into the downtown like the shuttle electric shuttle is funded by the parking meters so that i always like talking about that so it's really cool what about i'm starting to see some autonomous shuttles have you guys flirted with that idea interesting and uh, we did a pilot um, and we ran one for several weeks in the fall of 19 on campus. And uh, it was an obvious shuttle. So it's a, it was, I think it could hold 12 or so people, uh, was combo seated and standing. And, and we ran it on a, a loop around one of our residential areas up towards the heart of campus. And, and, uh, it was, it was interesting. We learned a lot and you have to have a safety driver on there and things like that. And it, there's some things that it likes and it doesn't like. It is, you know, it's not going to solve the campus mobility problem today. In the future, possibly, they need to be bigger. They need to they need to be you know completely autonomous and not run over people or hit anybody. Of course, we didn't have that happen at all. <laughs> at all. Yeah, but it's but, you probably, know. It's, it's I bet you were you were pretty not worried, but uh, and but, minor turned but, it closely. I'm sure for the but it was all pilot. Those, all those things you kind of worry about. You know, Fortunately, it's low speed, and you know we we had to go through gates and stuff like that. Um, we stayed in the one lane the whole time and did a extensive communication piece around it, so we people knew what was going on. We did safety briefings with our local you know 
fire departments and stuff like that about the battery packs and, and different things like that. And so it's a, it was a completely demonstration and a learning event to see something that is uh, pretty cool to, you know, to define those stops and to work through the GPS uh, issues and supplemental antennas and all the imp- stuff that has to go into to to running one and and i think someday we're going to see it it's it's not it's not this year it's not next year maybe it's 10 years or something like that i don't know you know tesla continues to push and push and push things forward and i think you know they have success out on the highway where things are uh, well marked uh, not in urban areas campuses provide you know all kinds of issues with pedestrians and bikes and people stepping off sidewalks and different things like that, but they also have low speed going for them. But you could see maybe on a college campus where you had a dedicated path, right? You might have the ability to to build a path that is just for an aut- autonomous shuttle or something like that. You think about, I know Emory's, Emory, I think, has a nice path through their campus and something that would be dedicated to just an autonomous shuttle to be able to keep it as isolated as possible, then maybe, maybe something sooner than, than that. But on a transit system that carries 7 million rides, uh, with a combo of on and off, I mean, we, we need something bigger, you know, the 40 foot buses, we could get over 70, 70 people on them standing. So we need something bigger. Yeah. I'm kind of intrigued by the idea too. I, in cities, probably universities too, but this, I don't know if you've seen that tortoise, it kind of does, doesn't carry people, it just delivers uh, products, groceries, parcels, whatever, and it's called the tortoise. So I mean, it's going, it's going slow. It's uh, I don't know. I've I can't wait to see one driving around in, in my downtown. I think it will have to see how that plays happen. out. You could see it with food delivery or pizza delivery or things like that to be able to package delivery and and uh, last mile kind of thing for for all those all those sort of things. You can see that kind of happening. Yeah, yeah. I had a uh, fiber on the podcast a, a few months back, but talking about sensors they mentioned they were doing a project with you i believe is that, is yeah, that the we, case we've done a pilot uh, a pilot with them so we're kind of you know, talking about technology and and so I'll, i i think single space sensors are the bomb and i think they you know when it comes to accuracy they are the clear winner right so from a you know anything really counting related you know loops or cameras and there's been great strides made with cameras and they're getting better and better for counting. But you know, that the ultimate is a single space sensor, be it a, you know, a, a puck in the ground or ultrasonic yep. above or even Com- combination even, of both. Yeah. Yeah. Combos or even the, you know, a camera system that does sensors that does detection for a few spaces. Right. So not a necessarily an entire parking lot from on high, but, but you know, it's something that does four or six spaces or two spaces is extremely accurate and kind of takes all the environmental uh, issues out of the mix. And so, you know, that I think that ultimate goal is to be able to have that per space data. We have in two of our garages, we have single space sensors and the red and green lights above, above the spaces. And it's just inc- incredibly accurate and incredibly you know, it's just a class A experience for the parkers to be able to find that space. And the signs are always right and it works offline and single space sensors just kind of, kind of do that, that the fiber pilot, you know, lets us go out into the field and surface lots and different areas and you know, look at H cap spaces or, you know, special use spaces or special use areas. And to be able to have that kind of that data 
and that uh, that information in an extremely accurate form yeah is, uh, really helpful for an operation It'd be great for game day management too just you know i still remember security guard counting open spaces radio them down to me you know it'd be cool to have just an app to say let four more cars in and close it down we're we're full yeah. but that's really cool what about lpr you guys using lpr we, we are in any yeah. garages or cars we are we're doing we're doing all kinds of different things with it we've we've had LPR for scoff laws now for about a decade. And um, Genfec's been a great partner in that regard. But we're kind of a little bit late coming to the virtual permit world. We have a have not done it here on main campus. We're going to do it this fall. But we have all kinds of different LPR and camera stuff going on. We've got fixed. We've got mobile. We've done some time parking with it at our rec center course of scoff law piece and we've kind of added different pieces here and there to make sure that we're in a good place for this fall so we have a branch campus a few miles from here it's uh, 14 1500 spaces and on day one we started lpr out there so permitless virtual permits and and pay by plate very simple system one or two permits and one or two parking lots and it was it was really straightforward as we as we work through the setup of main campus the permit and the valid locations in our truth table has 24,000 different combinations. And so the other campus has uh, four combinations. And so it's, we really want to get it absolutely right. We did not want to be able to, to tell our customers, you know, Hey, we're, we're moving to this new technology. It's 2021. And Oh, by the way, we're going to lose some functionality that you've had for a decade. That's just not yeah. something that we want to do. And, and not something that 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 I could do, and so we really wanted to make sure that we had all our all our ducks in a row for every single special circumstance. And so it's kind of an eighty twenty thing here on main campus. You know, eighty percent of the system is pretty simple, but there's twenty percent of it that's really complicated. Where we have permits that are valid in multiple locations, we have business permits, and some are valid in garages, some are valid in surface lots, and then you take night rules and all the different different combinations of any valid permit areas that we have on campus and just a lot in order to to make it work in a virtual permit world. We own the technology and the technology, you know, we've tested and tested and tested and it works. And that's that's the great part. It's just a really complicated kind of setup piece and to and to be able to develop a few customer facing interfaces so that they can manage their Mainly on the departmental side, be able to manage their accounts and their some shared permits in a in an efficient way. And so we really wanted to to not start until we had it just about everything uh, lined up to be able to say we're we're going to go without permits this year. We still have that challenge of uh, gated facilities and and controlled access facilities and what you're going to do there versus the surface lots and 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 I mentioned earlier uh, two thirds, one third, third in garages two-thirds out in surface, but there's actually another several thousand spaces that are behind gates in those surface lots as well. And so just kind of working through all of that access technology and marrying it with the with the LPR technology and and uh, really wanting to have it absolutely correct. So I we here we are in 2021 and we're probably one of the few few large institutions that hasn't done virtual, but we just wanted it to be perfect. No, a better uh, late than never. It blows my mind how that stuff works with like the OCR equivalent. Like if you know, worried about an I versus a one, well, the 
LPR systems are, are so smart where it can, if it's a zero or an O, it's going to, it's going to accept it because it kind of knows that's an equivalent. We'll take it. It's just crazy. And all the smarts are, are you know, really in the camera or in a, you know, controller on the vehicle that is directly tied to the camera doing all that OCR stuff. And so, you know, it's not doing processing out in the cloud or, or on a backend server anywhere. So it's really kind of impressive that all that logic and all those rules to be able to, to have it be camera, camera based. We're doing some stuff in garages with fixed LPR and tying them to transactions and transient and permit transactions and things like that. And maybe someday uh, we'll be able to use LPR for, for access. It would take a huge investment to be able to put it in all those, all those lanes that we have where we already have um, uh, RFID transcore and, and uh, magstripe and barcode and, and different other different methods to be able to get in. But as it continues to get more and more accurate, that hopefully one day access it'll be part of the access. Yeah, access my world. my friend Gary Means in Lexington just just started that, and it's 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 funny. Just the monthly parkers coming in, just blown away that it reads their play, opens the gate, and they don't have to scan their card. If there's an issue, if they have a a bicycle rack on that day, they still have their access card or their phone. But a lot of a lot of cool customer friendly things that that it brings to the table, but as we're talking about technology, yeah, you got a lot of cool things going on. IPMI, your peers have taken notice. I think uh, you have a really impressive trophy room. I know you APO with distinction. You guys won the IPMI uh, organization of the year. I think you won the uh, parking professional of the year. I know you're a humble guy, but talk to us a little bit about some of these initiatives and what it meant to the university. Yeah, no, it's it's really kind of great in the NPA, Innovative Organization of the Year, Technology Organization of the Year. I forget the exact name of that one. And it's been, it's great. Recognition is is nice for the program and and for the staff. And, uh, you know, it always helps kind of on the up, on the up chain to, to mention to your boss that, you know, you're arguing, never argue my boss. You're discussing best practices around the country and he, hear, he, you know, he or she hears a, a story about somebody else doing something and, you, you know, hey we actually have been doing that for quite some time and, and, or haven't been, and here are the reasons that we haven't. And you do recall, we were organization of the year, not too long ago. (laughs) We, we do know a little bit about what's going on. Uh, Yeah. So it's, it is really great to be recognized by the industry. IPI does a really great job with their recognition program. Uh, We've won a number of marketing awards from our, our communication. We have a great communication team. I think we were one of the very first organizations going back almost 19 years ago, 20 years ago, when we had a hired a communications manager and, and have had one ever since to be able to help unify that message and, and have a really polished and customer-centric communication plan around everything that we do. And so those guys have won an awful lot of awards as well. The, I, I think the, one of the coolest, the coolest year was probably 2015 when we swept all the personnel awards which I thought was really great because we just have. I remember great- that, yeah, like cashier, supervisor, yeah, we manager. Got yeah. We got them. We wow. Got, yeah, we, we we got them all, and that was that was really cool. I guess it um, helped when you were the head of the the recognition committee. No, I was not. I was not. <laughs> just kidding. I was not. I was not. The um, but I think that was just kind of the, you know, that's the overarching answer to to the question is that we've just we have a great team, we have great personnel, we've we've got a great staff. They work at a very high level. I 
often say that my expectations are extremely high and they continually exceed those expectations. And, you know, it's everything that we've, that we've won or everything that we've, somebody's come to see or done a site visits because we just have this awesome staff that can make magic happen and, and do things behind the scenes and, and, uh, get us to the level that, that we've, that we've come to. Yeah, no. And I love that, you know, recognizing team members, I, I take a lot of joy in that, but I'm glad that you're doing that with your team as well. So, uh, man, a lot going on. How can listeners keep in touch or follow along with uh, Texas A&M? Um, of course, our website, transport.tamu.edu, has, always has a lot going on uh, there with what we're doing. And then uh, our uh, we're on Twitter, uh, Aggie Parking, uh, for parking stuff. At Aggie Spirit Bus is our Twitter handle for the shuttle system. And then the at get to Aggie game is our Twitter handle for everything that's game day related. Uh, and of course, Instagram and Facebook and things like that are out there as well, but everything kind of flows out towards Twitter, uh, for that kind of stuff. We have a, a game day app as well. A lot of folks have, have taken a look at that and, and that's inside of our main Texas A&M app that anybody can download as well. So we try to keep the world posted on what's going on through those methods. Yeah. And if you go to any state and regional or parking conference, Peter's probably there presenting at one of the packed out <laughs> sessions. So, so Peter, when you're not, uh, when you're not running Texas A&M parking, what do you like to do for fun? Gosh, that's we have, uh, uh, we have a boat, so we, we do a little bit of boating and, uh, it's kind of like a wake boaty kind of thing and, uh, wake surfing, different stuff like that that goes oh, around. Fun, yeah. Travel a little bit around the state and, uh, my, uh, our son is, uh, a junior here at A&M and so keeps us, uh, occupied still a little bit. And, uh, my wife, Patty, is a stay-at-home mom and, and, um, life's pretty good here in College Station. That's really cool. And so I have a weird hobby where I like to visit all the final resting place places of all the presidents. So I have three left and one of them is actually buried in college station. I'm assuming, you know, which yeah, one the, that the, is. There's, there's 41 been a fixture on campus for, for a long time. And he and Barbara are both uh, interned here on campus at the, at the library. So yeah, come see us. I will. I'll, I'll hit you up when I'm, when I'm in town. Cause I hoping to finish them all this year or next year. All right, Peter. Thank you so much, man. It means a lot. I appreciate everything you've done for uh, the industry, for IPMI. Uh, I've loved following you all these years. Keep up the great work. Thanks for joining thank the podcast. Thank you so much. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. 
Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parking podcast. Are you interested in your parking organization becoming APO, Accredited Parking Organization Certified through the International Parking and Mobility Institute? Or perhaps you're interested in one of your green garages becoming ParkSmart Certified through USGBC? Well, the Parking Podcast is here to help. Our Parking Accreditations Consultants Network will ensure you are matched with the best site reviewer or green garage assessor available for a fraction of the price. Learn more at parkingcast.com slash consulting. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup-to-nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking, and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org slash textbook. It's huge. I think it's up there, you know, with J.C. Porter's Arizona State. Oh, oh, one second. My dog. I think it's up there with like uh, Arizona State. Hold on one second, Peter. My, let me get my dogs out of here. Not a Sun Devil fan, is he? <laughs> yeah. That's going in the outtakes.